Today on Let Me Be Frank, Bishop Frank is going to talk about overcoming disunity and establishing peace. Peace in our relationships, in our communities, peace in our church, peace within our own hearts. And the solution to disunity is love and graced listening. So that's all up today on Let Me Be Frank. Keep your radio tuned right here to 1350 AM. And as you know, you can also listen to us on your phone using the Veritas mobile app. The mobile app is available at the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, and at VeritasCatholic.com. Let Me Be Frank is brought to you by a grant from Foundations in Faith. Foundations in Faith embraces innovative approaches to funding pastoral care programs in the Diocese of Bridgeport. Resources focus on energizing lifelong formation and discipleship and fostering a commitment to justice and accompaniment with our most vulnerable. From seminarians to retired priests, from baptism to last rites, from suburbs to inner cities, the reach is broad and the impact is meaningful. For more information, visit foundationsinfaith.org. All right, so this is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. I am Steve Lee, and it is my great pleasure, as always, to introduce Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, good morning to you, my friend. Hi, Excellency. Great to see you again. Yes, it's great to see you, too. And um, we have some really serious stuff to talk about, I think. We do. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you know, and so um, I'm basically following your lead today, but... Uh Uh-oh. Uh, I want to, yeah. <laughs> listen, you're a good shepherd, so I'll be a good sheep. <laughs> um, but I, I'll, I'll guess, I guess I'll, I'll introduce it this way. You know, we had um, a guy on our Sunday afternoon show, The Frontline with Joe and Joe. He was a guest, and his name is Justin Fatika. And you know him very well. He's so dynamic. Um, and I guess you have a talk coming up with his group, Heart as Nails Ministries. Right, right. And the talk... Um just first of all, Justin created Heart as Nails Ministry um, years ago with some very dear friends, and its ministry is to reach out and encounter young people in particular, but just about anyone, in moments of suffering to accompany them and help them to realize the love of God that's present to them in that moment of suffering. That suffering is a moment of redemption, of of. It can be a moment of healing. And it's done powerful work. And Heart as Nails now has young missionaries throughout the country that do um, uh, retreats and revivals and accompany young people, uh, high schoolers and all the rest. And some remarkable stories of conversion of life. So every year there is kind of like a weekend retreat and Justin, I'm the Episcopal advisor, one of them, right? Now there's a few, thank God, for Heart as Nails. <laughs> and I went up um, uh, to Heart as Nails in past years, and this year as well. And Justin asked me to uh, talk about how do you create peace and unity in a church that is divided? And it's a profound question for which it gave me a lot of pause to think through. And that's really what I want, because we've spoken about it before. Yes. Um, In fact, 
um, it's a timely question. It's a difficult question. It's a question that doesn't have an easy answer. It's timely because even despite our best efforts, it seems as if the church is as divided as it's ever been, right? At least as I can remember. Yeah. Right? It's difficult because it's going to demand a lot of honesty, personal reflection, and courage to say things the way they are. And no easy answer because in the end, it's very personal. Like we all contribute to the unity of the church. We all contribute to disunity where we find it or where we're a part of it or what we're the protagonists of. So that, that's, the, that's the hardest part of all is to say, okay, look yourself in the mirror and say, well, what's, what's my role in this? Right. And, and we've spoken about division so many different times, but the Lord himself made it clear, did he not, in the gospel of the danger of division. Certainly, division between the person, the believer, and God, which is caused by sin, obviously, to yes. be avoided. Right? The division between uh, believer and believer. Right? That's basically much of what we're seeing. And then there's the division in one's own heart. St. Paul spoke about that, didn't he? I do the things I don't want to do, but I intend to do the things that yes. I don't seem to be doing because there's a division between what my mind tells me, what my heart tells me, okay, what my will wants to do. Yeah. Do you remember the famous saying in Mark 3, chapter 3, verse 25? Um, it's also in St. Matthew, chapter 12, verse 25. Jesus says, if a house be divided against itself, that house cannot stand. Yeah. So when we look at the divisions that are being fostered in our own church, then this is a very sober and sanguine moment to say, okay, the, the house will stand. The gates of hell will never prevail against the church. Never. But... What do we do to strengthen it further, right, and to heal those divisions? So what does Jesus tell us? Jesus tells us he prays for unity. Remember in John 17, Jesus says, I am not asking on behalf of them, but also on behalf of those who will believe in me, that through their message all of them may be one, as you, Father, are in me, and I am in you. Now let's think about that for example. I am in you, Father, and you, Father, are in me. So Jesus says the, the root of the unity of the church is the very life of God as a trinity, as a perfect union or communion of love. Perfect self-gift. That is ultimately the unity, the union Christ wants for his people. So in baptism... We enter into the life of the Trinity. We've talked about that already, right? Through the death and resurrection of Christ, we are, we are literally brought into that love. What Christ had by nature, we have by adoption. And so everything about our life, its meaning, its purpose, its destiny, is all rooted in that inheritance we have in receiving the life of God who is perfect union, perfect love. And therefore, for those who claim to believe in Christ, you could see why the world sees the division among Christians. 
okay, as not just scandalous, but as an excuse to say, you people are divided, so why are you preaching to us about unity and union? And we have been divided for a thousand years. And now even within the church, we are divided. Okay, so now someone may be listening and say, okay, Bishop Frank, all right, but however, don't just read parts of the scripture. You gotta read all the scripture. So doesn't Jesus say in St. Matthew's Gospel in the 10th chapter, he says, do not assume I've come to bring peace to the world. I have come not to bring peace, but a sword. I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, a daughter-in-law against his mother-in-law, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It's out of the, that it almost seems as if Jesus says division's inevitable. When you put some, the truth before someone, there is gonna be division. So what are you getting excited about? I'm just going on social media because I'm preaching the truth. You don't like it, that's your problem. However, however, when Jesus says that, he is not, in, he is not saying I have come purposefully and intentionally solely to sow division. He has come to preach the truth. And the truth in freedom can be chosen or rejected. So the intent is to invite everyone to live the truth because when you live the truth, you are fostering unity based on God's love and life. But if you choose not to, the Lord is not intending that as his principal effect, but if you choose to walk away, that's your choice. But the Lord is intending unity and communion by preaching the truth, not intending purposely to, to cast you away or turn you away. You see the difference? There's a difference there. So there will always be division because people will find it hard to accept the truth. They may walk away. But the intent is always to welcome them back, and the intent is always to bring them into union, which is why you preach the truth in the first place. So that's not an excuse to tolerate or intend division in the church. So far, does that make sense? Total sense, yep, definitely. Right. Okay, so now, we've spoken about this before. In the end, division is dangerous because it is the work of the evil one. And you and I have, heard, have said many times that the modern world has this lie that says the devil does not exist. And when we believe that the devil does not exist, the evil one is not there, then we lower our guard, we open the door of our heart, and then we're surprised when he comes prancing in with his temptations, all right, with his distractions, all right, with his deceptions and lies, and we see ourselves divided amongst ourselves, Right, within ourselves, our hearts are divided. We find it difficult to accept the truth. We're divided amongst each other because we use the truth as a bludgeon to divide, not to bring unity. And we find ourselves sinning, so we're divided between ourselves and God, who is the source of all life. So everywhere you see division, you see the work of the evil one. And Augustine knew that because in his own confessions, his autobiography, 
he describes his conversion experience as overcoming a house that was divided against itself. But he's referring to himself. He was the house divided against himself. And when he came to truly accept, not just intellectually, but morally, spiritually, the truths of faith, then he found the peace. Steve, who do you consider to be the greatest president we've ever had? That's a loaded question. I think it would be uh, either Abraham Lincoln or mm -hmm. Ronald Reagan. Okay. Well, I, I, I'll stand with you with Abraham Lincoln. George Washington right. obviously has to be in that conversation as well. Yeah, of course, because without him, right, exactly, exactly. Yeah. But Abraham Lincoln is interesting. Abraham Lincoln and Ronald Reagan very much used the same sort of rhetoric. It was deeply religious rhetoric, although he himself, I'm not, he was, he was spiritual. I'm not sure he actually belonged to any church per se, hmm. right? I'm not sure. Right. But in, in 1858, in the Illinois State House, when he was running, I believe, for the Senate, he said, paraphrasing scripture, a house divided against itself cannot stand. I believe this government cannot endure permanently half slave and half free. I do not expect the union to be dissolved. I do not expect the house to fall. But I do expect it will cease to be divided. Now, what a beautiful, in a secular context, the religious sentiment of what we're talking about. So, in a sense, part of what I, I did in my talk and what I'm going to suggest for all of us is to take a hard look at what are the causes of this growing division in the church. Like what's fueling this? And this is where it gets messy. This is where people could get their, their, their backs up. This is where people could get offended. So I apologize from the beginning if I get anybody worked up, okay? But my premise is this, sin is obvious. So when sin occurs, there's division. Okay, so that has to be, there has to be contrition, Forgiveness, all right, a reparation, you move on, you don't repeat your sin. That's obvious. But there are things that are less obvious that are feeding it. Okay, and I'm going to I'm going to call it the Kool-Aid of the modern world. Some of us have sipped it, some of us have drunk it. Some of us drink it every day, and we all need to be detoxified from the Kool-Aid of the modern world. And you know the Kool-Aid I'm referring to, okay? It's the logical conclusion from Descartes, Cogito Ergo Sum, we've talked about it. It's me. It's in very subtle ways, I may not realize that I put myself at the center of my conversation, my discussion, my friendships, my relationship with my pastor, my relationship with my bishop, my relationship with the magisterium. I put myself in place of uh, the center of the community I form or the community I reject or the truth I accept or the truth I suddenly will not accept. What ties all of that together is drinking the Kool-Aid 
It's all about me. And good, holy, faithful people can be drinking the Kool-Aid and not know it. Including me. <laughs> I'm not above this. We can all be subject to that. And therefore, in the end, if we're going to take a hard look and say, we want to heal the divisions of the church, then we have to also say, my sin may be obvious and I need to repent, but what's less obvious in my life that I am falling into that feeds this desire to always do it my way, like Frank Sinatra. It's like the song. Isn't that the song? Yes. Doing yep. it my way? Mm -hmm. no. Okay. So let's look at some of how this Kool-Aid, where this could be. One of it, one aspect, is allowing ourselves to be sucked into the consumption, materialistic world in which we live. We've said it many times before, right? It is designed to create anxiety, to create isolation, to look at the good of oneself from outside of oneself. You've heard me say many times before, I'm not good enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not skinny enough, and therefore I will buy this, go on that diet, hang out with these people, and maybe I will be worth it. And you never get to that point. Okay. Now, why do I say that's important for what we're talking about? Well, it's important for what we're talking about because unbeknownst to us, right, that really is a way of putting oneself in the center, allowing society, I would say, to put yourself in the center at a disadvantage. Because faith asks us to accept ourselves as we are on the road to conversion. So for example, if I look at the, the broken in my midst, the people who are struggling, the people who are living perhaps decisions that are harmful, there could be a tendency to say they are not worth it. They are not good enough. They got to get to this line for us to waste our time dealing with them. But don't you hear the echoes of the modern world in that? It's no different than advertising saying you're not skinny enough. Yeah. You're not good enough. Well, nobody's good enough before God. We're all sinners. So therefore, that can subtly affect my attitude when I encounter people, whether it's in person or in church or online. Where does all gossip come from? Talking about other people's sins and faults. But what does that have to do with you or me? Does that not just create more division? ruining someone's reputation, even if you're saying what you're saying is the truth. You see, it could be true. But unlike what the Lord did in the Gospels, we are using the truth as a wedge to say, all right, brother, and the conclusion is, this person's not worth it. So the heck with them. Well, how are you different from the world that created that in the first place? <laughs> 
Do you see how subtle that can be? And you don't even realize it. You're playing by the same rules. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's the same thing when it comes to belief. Okay. You've heard me say many times. All right. You have people who pick and choose what they want to believe or what they're comfortable believing or what they'll talk about in faith. You hear that with priests too. You hear that with bishops. Topics they will never talk about in the pulpit. Perhaps they believe it personally, but they don't want to give offense, so they won't talk about it, which I think is, is a dereliction of sacred duty, to be very honest. But if you or I, okay, are going to say, all right, well, I'm only going to emphasize this and not that, or I'm only going to talk about this or that. Or in my heart of hearts, I only believe this because this person said it and this person who said it, I don't necessarily trust that person. Even that person may be a bishop or even more important than a bishop. That's the Kool-Aid of the modern world. That's fostering division. Rather than say, okay, I may not accept this, this makes me uncomfortable, but I trust. This is the Lord's spokesman. This is the Lord's spokesman. This is the Lord's spokesman. These are the ordained voices of the magisterium. And you know what? I submit, because it's not about me. It's about the truth, who's Jesus Christ. But if it is about me, then I've drunk the Kool-Aid of the modern world. Right in the heart of the church. Have you seen that? Definitely, you know. There's one magisterium, we're not all, <laughs> we're not all a magisterium. <laughs> And, and part of what's so subtle here is that quotation um, from the gospel where Jesus said, I've come to bring division. If a person attempts to live that with the wrong intention, you may be thinking that you are actually doing what God wills when you are not doing what God wills. You preach the truth so that people could be invited effectively to believe it and you accompany them until they either say to you, I don't wish to do this, which then you pray for them, or you bring them to the destination, which is in relationship with Jesus Christ, where they truly could accept the truth. That's unity. That's truth, living love. That's unity. Even though at the beginning, we may not be living the same way but you're walking towards unity. That's the goal. But if you teach the truth simply as a bludgeon to say, okay, if you accept anything else, get lost, then that is not what the Lord is saying. That's why he died on the cross for everyone, not just some of us or most of us. He died for all of us, all of us. The ultimate act of spiritual union with a broken world, then why would we subtly adopt the same ways that the world is talking about? And I hope nobody's offended by what I'm saying because I feel very strongly, passionately about it. I think we are all trying to be good people and we are influenced by society in ways that we don't even realize that we're being influenced. So we gotta take a step back and say, but I don't wanna be like this. 
I never intended to put myself in the middle. I'm trying to be a good Catholic. I don't think I'm being the standard of the truth. And perhaps one is not intending it, but perhaps at times by the decisions we make, the language we use, how we behave, we are actually acting in a way different than what we were presuming to be. And that itself is division. So that's where the personal reflection comes. If I could be really blunt about it, is how much Kool-Aid have I drunk? Where do I see it in my life? And am I willing to admit it, and am I willing to fight against the, the subtle tendencies that we have? And most of the time, Steve, at least in my own life, I think I need the good friends I have, the spiritual directors in the plural that I have, and my relatives, my closest family, to help me to see what I'm blind to. Because many times I don't even see how subtle, even in my own life as a bishop, I'm being influenced by what the world wants me to be influenced by. I don't see it until someone challenges me and say, wait a minute, wait one minute. Why did you just say that or do that or make that decision? Right? One thing I noticed, Excellency, in those groups of people that you just mentioned who can say those things to you is that you have a close relationship with each of those people. It's not just somebody, um, let's say, on social media, for example, who's reaching out who doesn't know you. Right, right. Social media is, it, it, it can have tremendous possibilities and opportunities. It's also very dangerous because it can be quickly depersonalized. And people without regard, without restraint, say the most hurtful things, believing there are no consequences. Yeah. And sometimes among believers, they believe they're actually doing it in service of Christ. When again, I would ask them to sit before their bathroom mirror or some mirror, look yourself in the eye and say, what was my real intention, motivation of saying what I said? And is it the effects of the Kool-Aid of the world that says it's about me? Yeah. But when you do say something, I think there's a difference between debate and evangelization. Because evangelization, a- you, you need that relationship first. Otherwise, you're just yelling at somebody instead of really trying to work with someone. It's the difference right. between love and argument right without a doubt in the end my friend it really is a question of the spiritual disposition right of humility and dialogue discussion to kind of understand the truth because i mean for us it takes work to understand what the truth is if you enter into that conversation with humility you're never going to you're never going to be in the position which i just described yeah yeah right right Mm-hmm. Excellency, let's take a quick break here and uh, we'll pick, pick back up on this when we come back on the other side of the break. You're listening to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network and we will be right back. Catholic Radio works and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. 
It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith. Families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas, tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and His Church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Um, we're talking with uh, Bishop Frank Caggiano uh, about unity and and disunity. And um, Excellency, I, I didn't. Um, I want you to just kind of pick up on where you left off because you know you were on a roll. <laughs> oh yeah, I had to calm myself. I was getting. I, was getting. <laughs> I think. Um, so so you could take this whole conversation and flip it. You know, mom used to say you have to flip the frittata in the, in the pan, right? To make sure it doesn't burn on one side. Don't overcook one side. So let's flip it and say, okay, so let's stop talking about division. Right? Let's talk about unity itself. What yes. is that? Yeah. Right? Okay. So I'm going to suggest we don't use the word unity at all. That we use the word communion, which literally means common union. Communion is the real mystery that the Lord is calling us to. Because unity in the secular world, right, the, the world that created that, the quote-unquote Kool-Aid, it's all about me, also understands unity as an exercise of compromise where you, could, you can join with others and with give and take, live with something that you, notice my language, you can live with, okay? It's still the premise of the modern world. It rises and falls with me. And I remember somewhere, I, I, we had talked about this before, in the end, if, if a, a, great, a great negotiation is where everybody loses something, everybody's a little bit uncomfortable, but they all accept what's to be done. Right? That is not what we're talking about. But rather, we are talking about is a union, communion with Christ, of which we all share. Right. So it is to Him and towards one another, Him and towards one another, and that life that we live together in Him, in grace, is what our destiny is meant to be. That's the antidote to what the world wants us. Because the starting point is not me. The starting point is not us. The starting point is Jesus Christ. Very different. Okay. So, it dawned on me recently, as I was praying over the scripture, that there is a very subtle change in the Lord's teaching and it has just broken open in my mind so much fruitful reflection. I want to share it because I'm, I'm curious to our listeners when they pray over it, whether or not the Lord will bring them to, to uh, perhaps a deeper insight into this communion. So let's start with not my relationship with Christ. Let's start with my relationship with my neighbor. What does Jesus say when he connects Leviticus and Deuteronomy in the famous golden rule. 
love God above all things, I'm paraphrasing, and love your neighbor mm -hmm. as, as yourself. As yourself. Okay. And in the ancient world, that was very clear. And even to us, it's very clear. You want to treat yourself with respect. I mean, if you're psychologically healthy, with respect and dignity and honesty and mutuality and reciprocity, and therefore you do that to your neighbor. But isn't it interesting that right before he dies, the Lord speaks of not loving your neighbor as yourself, but he says, love one another as I have loved you. See the difference? Mm -hmm. A profound difference. Now suddenly the Lord is saying, to love one another is to love as I have loved you, which is the same way I love the Father. It goes back to the unity, that they may be one, as I, Father, am in you, and you are one with me. Jesus raises the stakes and says, it's not just that you treat your neighbor by the standard, but you treat yourself, but you all treat each other by the standard I give to you, which is total self-gift. There is no ego in that at all for the Lord. It's the diametrically opposed starting point from the world. So it's not about me. It's about my self-gift. It's what I'm giving all of it away to you. And what do I have in return? Not emptiness. I have my entire life back, blessed a thousand times over. Versus the world where I hold on to me create this division, and what do I have? Anxiety, depression, right? Dislocation, isolation in its extreme. You see, the, it's, just the, it's just the complete opposite. So if someone were to say, okay, Bishop, how do you create this communion that you're talking about? then if there's a person who doesn't agree with me theologically, a person who doesn't agree with me liturgically, a person who seems to be difficult, or a person that wants to be, quote unquote, rewriting progressively what Christians have always held, or a person who pushes the envelope, Communion with that person does not mean I accept what they do or I accept what they believe, but it is to love them as Christ loves them for no other reason than Christ loves them. Not because they're worthy, not because they're wonderful, not because I like them, not because they make me feel good, not because they agree with me, not because they're part of my blog, all of that's <laughs> irrelevant, right? Yeah. Love one another as I have loved you. And then you very, very correctly said, that creates the forum where there isn't division, but there is honest question and answer, honest dialogue and conversation. We are back on the road to Emmaus where they, the questions they asked Jesus, we do not know what they were. But they asked, 
And he answered, why? He wasn't judging him saying, hey, listen, you two, I died over there. Where are you going? You want to go in the wrong direction? Congratulations. No. Love one another as I have loved you. Okay, so what are your questions? Let's talk about it. What do you be afraid of? The truth is true. I'm not judging you first. Let's talk about the truth. <clears throat> you will come to your own judgment. Yeah. Right? And please God to, your, to the conversion God wants for you or for me or for all of us. To your point, Excellency, what, I mean, it, it occurs to me, when he said, love one another as I have loved you, he preceded it by saying, this is my commandment. Oh, thank you. <laughs> He's commanding us to do that. Not a recommendation, yes. not a suggestion, you know, every other Tuesday. No, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That, well, why is it a commandment? Why? Because if we revel in, become agents of division, in whose name are we working? Who are we serving? Sorry to tell you. But that is a very blunt question. Yeah. And if we are subtly fostering division, that doesn't protect us from the end result. That whose work are we fostering? You know, one way it's a commandment, because to do otherwise is to be on very dangerous soil. Yeah. And, and right? so what if you love those who love you? Even tax collectors and sinners do the same. That's, that's what division creates. You hang out with the people who love you. You just described the tribes of social media. <laughs> you know, there you go. <laughs> there's, there's, um, there's a priest uh, in Detroit named Father John Ricardo. And mm -hmm. he talks about, you know, uh, 1 Corinthians uh, 13, where Paul goes through love is patient, love is kind. Father Ricardo suggests that uh, you take love out of that um, passage and you put your name in there and see where, where you falter, right? So Steve is patient, Steve is kind, I'm already done. <laughs> you oh know? yeah, well, I, 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 just the first one, I stopped there. You kept going <laughs> to number two, I was still on number one. <laughs> yeah. But I thought that was a really <laughs> profound way to look at that, you know? Mm -hmm. and, and it goes mm -hmm. right with what you're saying, Excellency. Mm -hmm. So in the end, I believe that the antidote to the Kool-Aid, I believe that we can foster true communion with one another and foster, cooperate with the grace of adoption that came to us in baptism that created this union with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the death and resurrection of Jesus a skill we need to learn and relearn is graced listening. Hmm. Not listening, graced listening. Because you could go on these self-help and you could go on these board improvement uh, uh, websites and all this stuff. And, you know, business has perfected, you know, trying to listen to your, to your customer and discern what he or she wants and, and there is that level of pure mechanical listening, processing, but that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about graced listening, listening that's informed by the power of grace. 
that allows you to encounter the person, not just meet them, but encounter the person and enter into what you said before, my friend, a relationship with that person that becomes the place where our differences do not become divisions. But our differences become areas where, not looking at each other, but looking towards the Lord and loving each other as he loves us, we can ask our questions and allow the tradition, the magisterium, our experience, and one another to answer them, keeping us in union with him. So are there... Are there um... Are there steps that we can take to prepare ourselves to uh, be in that state of grace listening? Absolutely. Okay. Question number one. I stand before this person. Do I accept the person for who he or she is? Not the person I want him to be, but do I accept the person just the way they are right now? And that's a very hard question to ask, particularly when the person before you is your son or daughter or grandson or granddaughter or niece or nephew and you are furious at them for the decisions they have made and how they have, may have wrecked their life up to that point, made havoc, chaos. But in this moment of encounter, do I accept them? I don't accept what they did, but I still accept them. You see, that's part of the Kool-Aid. The Kool-Aid of the modern world says, my dear friend, that if you criticize my actions, you criticize me. If you criticize my action, you do not love me, which is baloney. In fact, I love you precisely because I'm calling you out on your actions. So that's number one, do you accept them? It's a very hard question. Because if we are brutally honest with each other, many times we don't accept the person in front of us. Okay. Second is, are you willing to walk with the person? You've heard me say before, I will say it here again, even in the wrong direction for a time, as Christ did in Emmaus. Never, ever, ever giving any sense that you accept the behaviors that may be problematic or sinful, or the opinions that may be harmful or divided but you are willing to walk with them to open this graced conversation so that perhaps grace can break through using our words, our feelings, our emotions in a way that that person can begin to realize this is the wrong direction. And therefore, are you willing to commit to that person in relationship. So what's interesting is, in the story of Emmaus, Jesus said he disappeared. It said he disappeared from their sight. But he disappeared in his resurrected life, post-resurrection, pre-ascension. But Christ's grace never left them. He didn't leave them orphans. They could not see him, but he was still there with them, right? So if that's how much God loves, Christ loves you and me, then should we not do the same with each other? To to accept, walk with, enter into a lasting relationship, 
And always along the way, the last point is, do are we keeping our eyes fixed on Jesus? Or are we looking at each other? If you're searching for the truth, searching for life, you gotta look to Jesus. You look at one another in support of that destination. If Christians, particularly Catholics, took this process to heart, the divisions that we have will begin to heal. And they would be, uh, it wouldn't be nirvana, we all, I mean, there wouldn't be this immediate transformation overnight, but what it would be, okay, is the ability to speak honestly, transparently with one another, have a commitment to love one another as Christ loves us, gifting myself, and we'd all be growing in holiness. Yeah. So we'd all have our eyes fixed on Jesus. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you do you know the story, Excellency, of Corey Ten Bloom? No. Okay. No. If you don't mind, it's no, please, I would very much. So during World War II, Corey Ten Bloom and her family lived in the Netherlands, and when the Nazis came in, they used their their house as a hiding place for Jews, and they saved um, probably they it's reported uh, eight hundred Jews from the Nazis. Wow. And, but, and so they did that for four years, but her family was eventually caught and they were sent to prison camps. And Corey and her sister ended up in Ravensbrook um, under really unimaginable and really brutal conditions. And after her sister died there in the prison camp, Corey was released by mistake due to a, a clerical error. So after she gets out, she starts traveling around and giving talks about her life story and especially about, she's evangelizing about uh, the love of Jesus Christ. And so she's doing this for years and years. And I think it was like 10 or 15 years later after she got out of the prison camp, she's in a church in Munich. She just giving, finished giving her talk, um, you know, again, about forgiveness and mercy and Jesus' love. When this big man from the audience starts walking up to her, just a huge physical man and as he's walking up, she's looking at him and she recognizes him as one of the brutal guards from Ravensbrook. Really? And he's walking up in a suit. She sees him walking up in his uniform and everything just comes flooding back and she freezes. And she remembers the inhumane conditions, the abuse that they suffered there, her sister's death. And the man comes up to her and he says, he takes his hat off and he says, um, Ma'am, I'm a Christian now, and I've come to know Christ's forgiveness. And I'm going to ask you, will you please forgive me? And he puts his hand out for her to shake. And she said she just froze. She didn't know what to do. And she was so torn up inside with all these emotions. And then she said in her head, in her heart, these words, If you do not forgive others, neither will my Father in heaven forgive you. Mm-hmm. And so she just, she said, she said, uh, she said, I just said one simple prayer. I said, Jesus, help me. I can lift up my hand and that's all I can do. And so she did. She lifted up her hand, took his and shook it. And she said, once she took his hand, she was just overcome with 
forgiveness. And she blurted out, she said, I forgive you, brother. I forgive you with all my heart. Mm-hmm. And even after mm-hmm. all those years of preaching forgiveness, mm-hmm. this was mm-hmm. the moment that really did it. That is establishing communion in the most stark and really raw way. That, that story is absolutely beautiful. And so I guess if this person can extend her hand after everything you described to begin to establish a new communion, who are we who have experienced nothing like that? Not willing and capable of holding out our hands to love one another as I have loved you and, and take the Kool-Aid and throw it out once and for all. Really, who are we not to do that? Hmm? Interesting. It kind of makes politics and things like that kind of seem frivolous in comparison to... <laughs> They are, in some sense. They don't have eternal value. They don't. The only thing that has eternal value is Christ, is, is God. Everything else has its place, if any place, in Him. Because in the end, if you're not with Him, what do you have? Nothing. See, yeah. and that's the lie of the liar. The lie of the liar, capital L, is that you don't need that. You have something else. No, you can't. No, you can't. No, you can't. We're not made that way. Mm-hmm. It, it, it feels like, Excellency, you've said many times that you know the, our society today is very much like the early Christians in ancient Rome. Mm-hmm. Um, the way all of society is just lined up against you know, fundamental, our fundamental beliefs and, and goodness. And in that society, you said, you know, even Tertullian remarked, he said, the, the thing that separates Christians is you look at them and you say, look at how they love each other. So it right. seems like in, if our society is like that back then, we need that even more, the love today. Right. right. And what we need to stop doing is being influenced by the modern world and using the things of religion, the things of faith, as the, as the prop or the reason for us creating division. That is the highest level of hypocrisy, right? Yeah. And in the end, who gets blamed for it? Jesus, and he has nothing to do with it. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay, let's take one more break, Excellency, and we'll come back with a listener question. You're listening to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano on the Veritas Catholic Network, 1350 AM, and on the Veritas mobile app. Be right back. Why do we need Catholic radio? Because not everybody's sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? How about while at work at your desk? Catholic radio's there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. And Catholic radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question-and-answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology, I myself, as a priest, am always learning. 
Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Excellency, um, gosh, this question that came in this week. Okay, here it is. How do I know God hears my prayers? Sometimes I feel silly asking for my little things when there are people battling cancer, the earthquake just devastated Haiti, oh, and other really important things are happening. Terrible. The situation in Haiti is terrible. It's awful. Uh, in Afghanistan, too. Yeah. With um, the, the, the need to, uh, many Christians who are now in, in, in just mortal fear. That's a whole other question we could talk about in another podcast. But anyway, to answer the question, I think uh, while in the scammer of life, the things you're asking for don't seem significant, the one thing I want the, uh, the person who wrote this, this question to remember is that it doesn't seem significant to you or to the world but it is significant to God. There is no request that is silly, no request too insignificant. God's love is everlasting. God's love is ever encompassing. And therefore God's love is as much interested in the struggle of your life than in the sufferings that's going on even now in Haiti on such a large scale, right? In a sense, it's what I said before, could we ever imagine in the communion we share that God could be so generous in his love that it encompasses it all? And the answer is yes. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. And your, your problems are your, still your problems and you're still a child of God. Absolutely. That's what you're saying. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Great, my friend. Good. Yes. Yes. I enjoyed our conversation. Definitely. And so if you're listening and you have a question for Bishop Frank, you can send it into us on social media. You can email questions at veritascatholic.com. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and so is Veritas Catholic Network. Big thank you to Foundations in Faith. A grant from the St. Therese Fund for Evangelization makes it possible for us to bring Let Me Be Frank to you. Foundations in Faith is committed to supporting and transforming pastoral ministries in the Diocese of Bridgeport, and you can learn more about their outstanding work at foundationsinfaith.org. Excellency, would you please give us your blessing? The Lord be with you. And with your spirit. May Almighty God bless you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Our Lady, pray for us. Steve, enjoy your week. Thanks, Excellency. You too. See you next week. I'll see you soon. Okay. Okay. Bye.